The Measure of a Fan, a Star Trek podcast in which three nerds watch all of Star Trek in chronological order, one of them experiencing it all for the very first time. My name is PJ Montgomery and I am joined as ever by Matt Troy. Hello. And our resident Star Trek newbie, Elliot Red. Hello everybody. We are joined by a guest this week. He's returning to the show because he enjoyed it so much the first time around. It's the writer of comics, including The Pride and the Miracles. It's Joe Glass. Hello. Hello. So fabulous of you to ask me back. <laughs> good to have you back. How are you doing, Joe? I'm quite all right. I'm quite all right. I had the vid. Verona got me, but I'm quite fine now. I'm glad that you survived. I did. De- I did definitely survive because I'm smart and believe in science, and therefore had all the vaccinations and boosters. <laughs> He's had his hypo sprays. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, Joe, mm-hmm. I know from your Twitter that as of this time of recording, you have recently begun. A rewatch of Star Trek Voyager. Yes, I, it was really weird because I randomly chucked it on, and I want to say it was like Sunday morning or something. Um, and I literally just—I don't even know why. I think I just wanted something on in the background, and I thought like I'll check that on. So I put it on. I start, decided, you know, what, I'll just watch through just from beginning to end. I'll just start this rewatch, and then later that day, in my Twitter feed, I found out that Sunday was actually the like. 30th anniversary or 25th or whatever it is um anniversary of the first episode of voyager hearing um so it was a bit like oh that's weird little <laughs> bit of kismet that were uh were you not tempted to do a, an enterprise rewatch instead is that uh well i well to be fair i i did i only did the enterprise first ever watch um a year and a half ago like two years ago oh okay that. so like Enterprise is still very fresh in my memory, more or less. So, oh, and like, I have to avoid that opening theme tune as much as I can. <laughs> so, we have, uh, speaking of the theme tune, we have had one of my favorite ever comments from a listener mm-hmm. on our Facebook page today, the day we are recording. This is, this is from Gary. Hi, Gary. And Gary says... I always liked the opening song to Enterprise. I did not get what the problem was. Then you guys called it Christian rock, and now I can't stand it. You're jerk faces. <laughs> it is, though. It is. I mean, it plainly is. It sounds so Christian rocky. It, it is It is worse, to, to make it the absolute worst of what it is, it is like Nickelback Light. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Burn>. You're right. <laughs> no, I disagree. Nickelback has some heavy metal riffs and good music production in their stuff. This song is trash in all forms. This is it's caffeine-free uh, Nickelback. That's what this is. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, today we are looking at the episode Stigma, which was written by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, directed by David Livingston, and first aired on the fifth of February, 
2003. And this was apparently part of Viacom doing a big HIV awareness campaign at the time. All will become clear. Ah, that explains a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Why this felt like an after-school special. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) An entire bottle episode where, like, it just never comes up again. (laughs) Yeah. Like, next week, Travis has to stay away from a stranger, you know? (laughs) I think Travis should have stayed away from strangers this week, but we'll get to that. (laughs) Yeah, we will. So we we open with a teaser in sickbay and it's basically flock saying hey you're really badly ill and you might die and it turns out he's talking to paul and she's like well fuck and he's obviously not there as well <laughs> like all of that is 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 recorded dialogue because it's just focused on to paul and you never once see flocks in that scene <laughs> which was weird as as far as a hook to get you into an episode though yeah. fairly effective i thought like, as far yeah. as teasers go yeah, because yeah, I feel like we we never I was going to say we never see Vulcans get really ill and I'm just like, actually, no, that's entirely wrong. We see Vulcans get ill quite a lot, but like it usually turns out it's because oh, this is the one time in seven years where they're horny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is an illness on Vulcan. Wasn't there an episode where like Spock had like Vulcan diarrhea for a... <laughs> <laughs> and was like, where's Spock? And he's like, oh, he said he had to just pop out. Like He's been gone for 15 minutes. <laughs> Where is he? And he's like, comes back on the bridge and he sits down and he's like, excuse me, Captain, I have to go again. And then just runs off. I, I, that might, I might have made that up. But it would have been a good episode. I would have watched that. <laughs> you could just hear him. Like he, he goes out the door. And you can just hear him in the next room going, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but then it all works out because they run out of photon torpedoes. So he shits into the torpedo tube and they blow up some Klingons with his poops. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a, truly is a brilliant progressive series. <laughs> anyway, after the credits, the Enterprise arrives at Dekendi 3, because there's some kind of weird medical conference thing there. And also, one of Flox's many wives. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a little bit like, got me excited, because I was like, oh, is this going to be like Star Trek does Comic Con? And then it turns out the medical convention is as sparsely populated a convention I've ever seen in my life. This is what happens, though, when you hold your medical convention on Generica 5 and not on, like, you know, Vulcan or something. Like, put it somewhere where people will go. This is like the Denver sort of convention center of, of, of medical conferences. The venue looked like, um, I can't remember what it's called, but Joe, we went there together for the, the con Mark Miller did, like, 11, 12 years back. Oh, good old Katow Comic Con, yeah. It looked like the venue that that was first held at. He does a bit, yeah. Yeah, it does a bit. Except, um, honestly, even the last one I went to of London Super Comic Con, because I think they moved there, that same convention venue for their last year, which was... Very, very quiet, shall we say, and quite quite famously quiet. <laughs> and even that was more attended than this medical conference, as near as I could tell. I bet that the conference on Generica 5 had much better food uh, stalls than, than the place that you went. That would probably be it, then. <laughs> Almost certainly. It's, you know, plenty of places for a Vulcan to get a glass of water. Yeah, or plomic broth. <laughs> so, Flox's wife is Fiesel. Fiesel Flox. I guess. 
you know what? I wasn't going to mention this until the bit came up in the episode, but now you said her full name. That's not his surname. That's his one name. Why is she called Feasel Flox? Oh, wait, yeah, it's, it's Dr. Flox. Flox is a modern name, is it? He's not like John Flox, is he? <laughs> oh. I didn't know he didn't have any first names or anything. It's it's Barry. <laughs> Barry Flox. Yeah, she's not Feasel Flox. She's just Feasel. I mean, maybe she says it for, like, convention purposes. Yeah. Like, this is what you, you morons do, so I'm going to do it too. But I don't believe that she calls herself. Plus, she's got two other husbands. Does she call herself, like... Feasel flocks. That's true. Naming conventions of Nubilans. This is what we're discussing right now. I love these guys. Doesn't she say actually that Flox is her second husband as well? Yeah. So wouldn't she take the first or third husband's name rather than yeah? The second would be a weird one to take. Yeah, she's like Feasel Flat or something. You know, (laughs) they got great names. Anyway, she's here to help Trip install some kind of microscope. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, even in a bottle episode, which is apparently really only done for Viacom's HIV Awareness Week or wherever, you still have to have a B plot. Yeah. <laughs> Why is he doing this as well? Surely somebody else can do that. Why is he the only person who does anything? Like he's fitting a microscope. <laughs> yeah. And I like I get that he's an engineer and is therefore like very good at all technology, but as, as because it is set up in sick bay, this is a medical microscope. Yeah. Like, is there not anyone better trained in that? <laughs> well, we've discovered that sometimes there's medical staff, but most of the time that there's not. <laughs> Flox is Flox's medical staff. Yeah, he's like weird, pretend medical staff. And also, as we've discussed a few times on the show in the past, the engineering part of this crew is the biggest section of the crew. We reckon it's like 20 odd people or something. Nobody else does anything at all. Like, Trip does everything. <laughs> yeah. And. Feasel clearly quite likes that and clearly quite likes him. And there is no subtlety in this scene. They're playing around with this microscope and she basically goes, yes, yeah, stick it in. Now pull it out. <laughs> like, Fucking El Berman and Braga. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I'm, I'm, I got to say, just from the, the, the very start, I'm 100% here for this ridiculous B-plot. <laughs> I mean, to, to be fair to it, like that is also the same as the A-plot. Like It is not yeah. subtle. It is like yeah. what the A plot is about is like, oh, you might as well just be slapping me across the face with a Keith Haring poster. I can tell <laughs> what this is all about. Like it was it was <laughs> cringy but also fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, mainly because of the conclusion of the story, I found it particularly charming. Oh yeah, I can't wait to get onto that bit. I have things to say. <laughs> but during it, the whole thing it was a bit cringy. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's nice it's nice but in a way as well. But it, it was one of those times where a B plot is actually quite successfully done because it's yeah. it's very much still the main plot is about stigma, obviously that's the title, and the B plot is also kind of about stigma, but yeah. also showing like a slightly non aggressive version of stigmatism. Uh, stigmatism. I'm not talking about eyes here. <laughs> We're. Um, like, it's just about, like, oh, you know, some people have, like, some funny feelings about romance and love, and maybe, you know, maybe we're actually a bit weird for thinking like that. And I was just like, oh, okay. This is this, yeah. this B-plot does have some great scenes coming up. I, yeah, I, really, legs, I agree. But that, this, this, this first one, though, is just ridiculous. But I, I like as well that I know that I've complained already that Trip is doing something that's above his, uh, below his pay grade. 
but it does suit Trip being that kind yeah. of, you know, southern kind of traditional kind of guy. Like, yeah. it might have worked with Malcolm, but it would have been just so much more saggy with him involved well, in it. You say that, but haven't we already established that Malcolm is secretly, like, the sex hound of the Enterprise? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Like, he acts all yeah. that time and, like, shy and everything, but, like, he's constantly talking about, like, oh, I really want to bang that woman. Ugh. And he does it in this episode. Yeah, they did establish that, but then they had Trip sleep with like four different aliens in four different episodes. Like... <laughs> but to be fair to Trip, he's always like he's not gross about it. Like he's pretty open with what's happening. Everybody like seems to have a good time with Trip, mm. and yeah, I, I mean, I'm fine with that as a concept. You know, I if think, Trip I think was... basically Trip was designed to be like he's that aspect of James T. Kirk if consent was involved. <laughs> yeah, yes. This is this is very true. All you were really saying is that <laughs> he's just not Malcolm. He doesn't just list horrible things about the women he's dated, so that makes him a nice yeah. person. It was nice to see a change of pace. Like that, yeah. Instead of Trip just going, "Oh, okay, another alien." He's, I mean, it is a bit straight in the other direction, but it's still charming, mm. as you say. It's kind of like back, Devil Woman, Fiels of Locks, get back, <laughs> Fiels of Locks. <laughs> Uh, that might be an episode title. <laughs> <laughs> Down on the planet at the conference, Flox has met up with some Vulcan doctors, and he's like, hey, so there's this Vulcan disease that you guys have, and I need to know about it. Not because of Vulcan stuff, because of Denobulan stuff. Really honest. And they're all like, oh, no, this this disease is, is only a part of, you know, the people we don't like in Vulcan society. Or, as the episode makes to say, the minority. The minority. The the minority. Yeah, but basically, the the lead Vulcan doctor here is effectively doing the Vulcan version of, are you fucking with me? (laughs) Because I think you're fucking with me. Also, I feel like they keep on saying subculture and they're using it the wrong way. Like, oh, it's it's, it's only a Vulcan subculture that does this. I'm just like, I'm not entirely sure you know what that word means. Yeah, it's like (laughs) calling people with, like, you know, cerebral... uh, I forget the name of the disease. Any kind of illness, a subculture. Like it's what I'm trying to say yeah. in an awkward way. And it's and it's like, to, I mean, like to get to to because we've we've actually managed to pussyfoot around the the whole plot actually better than the show manages to. Um, <laughs> to be to be fair, by this point we already know that um, Panar syndrome is HIV. It is HIV. Yeah, it's, it's Vulcan and HIV. The yeah. people who get Panar syndrome are mind-melding Vulcans, and uh, what they're trying to basically set up is mind-melding Vulcans are gay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, it, it does feel like, uh, yeah, you, you, it's very heavily handled, shall we say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so heavy-handed, it's a heavy foot. Yeah. Like, it, 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 it does not have any subtlety. I, I, was, I wrote a note, actually, for this, and... and PJ, you'll definitely understand this. Maybe you too, Joe. But do you know, like, if you've ever done like a script writing course, mm. you mm. always get given at the beginning of a script writing course, you go write like a thirty-minute-long something or other in yeah. you know in the new script format that you've learned. Mm-hmm. And everybody who tries it immediately tries to cram like a whole screenplay's worth of ideas into that thirty minutes. Oh god, because yeah. that's why they're there. Like they don't want to write some bullshit, you know, Simpsons episode. They want to write like some hard-hitting film. And that's what I feel like they've done here is that they have just got the turkey and they are like on their 
five or six fisting of stuffing into that thing. Like the turkey is like vibrating because they're stuffing it. And you know, it's not bad. No, I don't think it's bad. It is a bit clumsy. Yeah, but yeah, it, they're definitely going at it hard. It feels like because um, there's a lot of there's a lot of things which have tried to do it. Very few things have actively covered HIV and AIDS, and yeah. and in particular like the HIV AIDS crisis and the HIV AIDS stigma, which per, uh, persists to even this day. Very few media and pop culture in particular has ever really tried to directly handle it. Um, and when you do see it in a piece of um, pop culture media like science fiction or something like that, it's usually a made-up disease which clearly is analogous. And it's the only way to do that without just actively just making a character HIV positive or whatever is just to make this thing really heavy-handed. And yeah. it can come across as not well done, but... I think that sometimes it's useful sometimes. So, like, even when it's badly done, like, uh, like in X Men comics, they had the legacy virus, and it was blatantly mm. HIV. But like, it was really not well handled a lot of the time, and thus it was not very good. The idea, the concept, I think is fascinating, and I personally still love the idea of the legacy virus and possibly doing that kind of thing. But in terms of how this handled Panar syndrome, it was blatant and heavy-handed but i think it was handled with respect and in such a way that actually made it quite useful and yeah quite fairly respectful to what it was really trying to talk about one of my notes that i've got down here is that even though the setup is really clunky mm. the kind of the nuance to the whole thing actually was quite well done <laughs> yes so, You've got, I mean, obviously we'll, we'll come on to this, but the, the way that, that all of the parties involved kind of respond to it, do it in a, in a fairly reasonable way and yeah. an, you know, an interesting way. Yeah. And I think what is particularly the most interesting thing is, and, and we're, we're kind of, we, we, we've touched on it, but we haven't quite got to the point where we really find out what the reason for the Vulcans' reaction to Phlox's request is, is that the Vulcans, who we're meant to understand like this really highly enlightened race and everything, are massive bigots. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh boy, are we going to get into that? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, because yeah, they do. They basically say to Flocks, you know, we'll we'll think about your request, and that's where it's left. And then we go back up to the ship where Archer and Topol are having breakfast, and then Hoshi radios in and goes, "Oh, there's some Vulcans on the ship, and they want to see you and Flocks." And then Archer says, "Well, you can bet they're not coming up for coffee and donuts." <laughs> and no, Jonathan, they're coming for water and breadsticks. Yeah, that's what they're like. I do you know what I was secretly hoping in the next scene. If he said, "You would you like any refreshments?" They said, "Coffee and donuts, please, Captain." <laughs> <laughs> but they have a, a meeting with with these Vulcan doctors, and basically they're they're interrogating to Paul. Archer's asked to leave. Phlox tries to defend her and says, look, this is nothing to do with her. I asked you for this, but they're onto them. They give to Paul a pad and say, do you know any of these names? And she basically goes, fuck you, gives it back. And then they use her DNA on the pad to find out that she does indeed have Panar syndrome. The sneaky bastards. We've discussed your request. Unfortunately, we are still hesitant to share data regarding Panar syndrome. Subcommander Paul is not aware of my request. I'm uh, curious why you asked her to stay. You're requesting information about a Vulcan disease 
And you didn't discuss it with your Vulcan science officer? That's correct. As far as I know, her expertise does not include medicine. Are you familiar with Benar syndrome, Subcommander? Of course. Would you mind describing it? You're physicians. Why would you need me to define an illness? Please, indulge us. It's an incurable degradation of the synaptic pathways. It also affects the endocrine and immune systems. An impressive definition. Could you tell us how the disease is transmitted? Through a telepathic practice. And what practice would that be? Mind melts. They cause a disruption of neuroelectric impulses in the midbrain, which can lead to the early stages of the syndrome. You condone these acts, Subcommander? These mind melds? I'd appreciate it if you'd tell me why you asked me here. As would I. Your questions to DePaul seem inappropriate. Dr. Phlox has asked for data regarding the treatment of Panar syndrome. Did you have anything to do with that request? I believe I was very clear about that. Yes, your colleague under Nobula. I liked all of the dialogue in this scene, in these scenes, though, because there was like actual intention behind the words that were being said, not just plain, ah, here's my intention. I am going to attempt this now. I don't like you. There's, there was never been any scene before in any other episode I've seen where characters are actually trying to achieve something and have to speak something other than what is. Yeah. They never had to lie, like, essentially. Yeah, there's like absolute subterfuge being involved here, and yeah. um, and people talking across purposes and everything. And I thought that that was useful because, again, it was it was doing exactly what it was setting out to um, express, which is like ideas of what stigma is and what are very passive violences, which um, are often aimed at the minority and yeah. um, people with Panar syndrome, a.k.a. HIV. So, yeah, it was very much illustrating its point because, like, yeah, that, you're entirely right. They're all talking secretly about what they really are talking about kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, that's because that's what it's like, or at least certainly what it was like at its, at its height and at its worst in, like, the mid-'90s. Where you know people were like losing jobs just because you know, mm. they would turn up yeah. HIV positive and stuff like that. They made a whole movie about it for God's sake. So uh, yeah, um, so yeah, it's it was while it was really good to see that it did that because that actually made for great acting and made for a great tension in that scene, but also yep. it was absolutely illustrating the exact thing they meant to be talking about. Mm-hmm. Yep, I, I was going to say I thought the acting was really strong in this scene. In particular, mm-hmm. I thought John Billingsley playing Flocks with sort of this this quiet rage yeah. that these Vulcan doctors are interfering in the care of his patient and and his determination to do right by her. I thought he was utterly superb, and yeah, all of them in this scene were great. Absolutely, yep. absolutely, and I love and to Paul sort of because obviously she's playing a Vulcan and she can't show overtly rage or anything like that. But I felt that she sort of managed to pull herself through that whole scene with that whole idea of like a quiet anger, which again, like people who are the minority and whatever, often have to sort of live like that and react. Because if you do like outwardly, you know, have an outburst or something like that, then you're often put to be the one in the bad light and the one who's in the wrong. So it felt again very well done that she was, um, she pulled that scene together really well, I felt. I think that this is probably the best to Paul episode that maybe we've seen yet in mm, terms of yeah. the stuff that she did. 
definitely, uh, definitely, it's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite episodes of the entire series as a mm. whole, and also uh, probably my one of my highlight uh, to Paul episodes. Yeah. Anyway, we cut from that uncomfortable meeting back to sick bay, where Trip is still working with with Feasel, and she's still flirting with him, and Flox is right there in the room as well, and she don't give a <laughs> shit. Why does like the the biggest unusualness of this is that Trip just doesn't get that like Flox and his wife are swingers? Yeah, <laughs> I, I really don't understand how. I, I get that the whole thing they're trying to sort of set up is that at this point humans really don't know other alien races very well at all, and some of them are worse than others. But with Trip, I just really don't understand how he can know that Flox has three wives and not understand yeah. the ideas of what sexual intimacy involved could be different. Yeah. And I mean, it's not even an alien concept. Mm. Like, I can remember being like in my early 20s with a couple of my mates at a pub once. And then they were like, I'm a middle aged couple, shall we say, were like being really cool and chatting with us and like <laughs> giving us cigarettes and beer and. And then a little bit later, I was like by the bar with the dude who was like, you know, buying drinks. And and he was just sort of like, I mean, I can't remember his exact wording, but it was something along the lines of, you know, do you like my wife? Oh. And I'm like, yeah, she seems nice. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I just have no idea what's going on. Trips, so, okay, uh, maybe. Trips clearly that never throw these like, in the fishbowl. <laughs> <laughs> we escaped. Like, I think we cottoned on to it after a while and we were like, uh, yeah, we have to exit a the up pay before the Ingus ways at us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's that's pretty much the extent of that scene because Flox is called away to Archer's ready room where he's like, "Yep, so I've been told about T'Pol's condition by the Vulcan doctors now, and they're basically going to have a recall to Vulcan, and I'm grumpy about it." Yeah, I mean, it's you know, Arch. This is when he's telling off. Both Flox and Topol, technically, right? Yeah, for basically for not telling him about it, lying to oh. the Vulcan doctors, and this is the obligatory Archer is angry because he's not in on everyone's secrets. Yeah, time like what Archer as a responsible captain in this scene should have done is gone. Hey, look, I know this is Doctor Patient confidentiality. I do you want to tell me anything about this? Maybe I can help. No. Why don't you tell me everyone's medical secrets? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was off, really like, surprised that he was really upset about that. I was just like, you, you do know how doctors work, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. I hadn't quite noticed that. I wasn't paying close enough attention because I had put his rage more towards the just the fact that they had like lied. But mm. there wasn't really any of that. Was they didn't focus on that towards that, did yeah. they? It was more no, just kind no. of. No. It was about the fact that he didn't know Topol's secrets. Mm. And do you know what? They didn't actually lie. Yeah, they just, they didn't lie. They just didn't tell him. <laughs> yeah, it was also not his business. Well, I think the issue they have is that they're trying to play him as he's the captain. It's his business to know. And they, the thing is, like. It's not a captain's business to know every medical condition of every... No, no. If it doesn't impair them. I will say in Archer's defence on this occasion, it is an illness that could affect her effectiveness to in, in terms of her ability to do yeah. her job. We've already seen her make mistakes in a couple of previous episodes that are alluding to this. Yeah. I did like as well how I think one of her responses was just like, was essentially, don't worry, you can't catch it. And I was like, oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, but they, they did also lie to Vulcans. Yeah, they barely well, they lied to the Vulcans. They they sort of like didn't they didn't tell the truth, but they they were very skillful in the way that they said it. Because usually in those kind of scenes in in Star Trek, like there'll be like you know a big honking lie, and you'll be like, up, oh, that's it. But this was actually quite subtly done, unusually skillfully written. Yeah, uh, in the way that they kind of addressed the Vulcans, and at no point did they ever overtly lie. But obviously, I agree. But you know, from the perspective of the Vulcans, that's irrelevant, and they're the yeah. ones that are going to cause problems. Yeah. And like, yeah, I think yeah. what is interesting to, to tie back a little bit to what Matt's saying with it as well is like what you tend to find sometimes in Star Trek is when they're doing one of these little episodes where they're talking about something without talking about it directly, when they get to the scene where they are really going to highlight the point, they usually then bring up the Earth, ancient Earth example, but they didn't do that with this. I, I was actually quite impressed with the whole episode, slight you know, spoilers, I guess. Um, they never do actually say, like, oh, we're better than this on Earth because, you know, we've been through it. We did this with people with HIV 200, 300 years ago, and, you know, we got over that. We were better. So yeah. it's kind of interesting that they never did that because there's so many other things, other times when they would absolutely do that in Star Trek and be like... Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, Archer touches on it. Yeah, Archer did say that, basically, at the end, just in a... He does, yeah, he does form. say... Yeah, about prejudice in general. He says, like, that we are better than this, that we've gone past bigotry, but, like, he doesn't say, yeah. like, the exact illusion of, like, of that, you know, we... As in, like, we used to be bigoted about a virus, and now we're not, kind of thing. Although it is also kind of evident, but apparently in Star Trek universe, no one got COVID. <laughs> I mean, we didn't have the eugenics wars either, but, you know. Sadly, yeah. <laughs> But this this is also where, of course, they they let the audience know. Oh yeah, do you remember that creepy emotional Vulcan from season one? That one episode. Yeah, he's given it to Topol. That Polaris. Yeah, that bastard. <laughs> that absolute shit. This is another part of this episode as well. Is that like obviously Topol's wishes are that she doesn't want to reveal how that she contracted you know this mm. you know because she was assaulted by this guy and. The crew really rallied around her in this because this could have been done in in a kind of a yeah in a worse way. I mean, I'm not saying it was perfect, yeah, but for the time, especially as well, I was kind of like glad that the, the way that they dealt with it. And I know that there was the whole business with that guy kind of revealing it at the end, but I don't know. I mean, I think it was reasonably well done. Yeah, because I, I think the, the again skipping ahead a little bit, the bit which really sold that for me was when they ask uh, Archer about it because by this point, like it's been revealed, she didn't want it to be revealed, and when they do ask Archer, he just turns to her and make, says like it's, she's made it clear she doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah, and I'm like yeah. that. That is a, actually a major gold star for Archer right there. Yeah, yeah, because he would usually fuck that up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's learning. This is character growth. Yeah, honestly, Enterprise would normally fuck this up yeah. like five times over before even <laughs> getting anywhere near this territory. Like, I I feel like that in the writing of this episode, Brandon Braga sort of went, "Oh shit, I need to be as good as I was in my Next Generation days. Let's mm-hmm. dip into that well again." Yeah. Yeah, exactly. this would have been a serviceable TNG episode too. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It felt like they need they understood that there needed to be an absolute amount of sensitivity involved with this, and it actually leads to a better one of the better written episodes of the entire series. So, you know what I think happened? I reckon there were consultants on this. 
on, on behalf of Viacom because of you know the the HIV Awareness Week. So I reckon consultants had a pass on the script, and that is why we've got this. I think it yeah. you know, again what enterprise lacks from consistently every single time is like a half baked script. And you know, like I said, I do feel this is quite over overstuffed, if you will, for like the like, this could have been a two parter actually. Easily. Sticking yeah. a, a C plot with some Klingons and you've got like a good two parter probably. Uh but yeah, I I think that uh that this is definitely kind of vetted then mm. a little bit more than your standard episode. That would make sense, yeah. I was definitely. fully expecting a two parter to be honest. I'm always amazed at how much Enterprise managed to wrap up things in the last like six minutes of every episode. Yeah. But then as well to make it worse, like, no need to be not make it a two parter, but like slight spoilers, Elliot, sorry, but they don't really ever bring up Panar syndrome again. Which considering that T'Pol apparently has it. Well, I think they do. They do, yeah. 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 It becomes a big plot in the next series, I think. Yeah, and I think it runs until season four. They, it, It's a better subplot than the Temporal Cold War. Well, yeah. But yeah, it does does come up, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I must have completely zoned out all the other times it came out. <laughs> Enterprise does suffer from, um, we all had laminate and went to the zoo syndrome as well. Yeah. In the, mm-hmm. like, it seems like they're halfway through the plot and then someone just gives up and then they go, oh yeah, and uh, all the Klingons died of spontaneous combustion and the end enterprise either seems to usually have too much plot for one episode or not enough plot for an episode and you get the whole well we're 10 minutes from the end we could beam them up but that guy's dehydrated what (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) (sighs) anyway flox isn't allowed back at the conference the vulcans have basically barred him so that's cool uh archer goes to speak to the doctors himself and says you know T'Pol isn't part of the minority, your subculture. She, Yes, she's got the disease, but, you know, she just needs help. Mm. And the Vulcans are pricks about it, except one who gives Archer a look. <laughs> yeah, the all-important look. This is Dr. Uris, who then contacts T'Pol and asks to meet her in private on the surface. She does. She's trying to be sneaky and failing completely. She could not be more obvious. Oh, I know, right? Yeah. Doesn't she normally wear like a like a blanket over her head when she goes out in, in an alien street or something? She norm- she's worn disguises before. Yeah, she usually dresses up as yeah, as a sexy elf. Like it, she's a <laughs> like a larper. Like that's what she usually goes out as. Yeah. Uh, but she she meets Uris and he says, "Hey, here's the research, and I'm giving it to you because I am a mind melder." Yeah, and as if they couldn't possibly stand to not make any of the metaphors in the show more obvious. Again, he's also the most blatantly gay Vulcan you've ever met. <laughs> he's literally got a softer-spoken, slightly more effet-sounding voice. He's slight. Uh, he's very sort of slighted appearance. Um, he's kind of got a nice, a very soft lilt to everything he says. They were, like, this close to putting a lisp on him, honestly. <laughs> Oh, this is where, yeah, where, as we've said, sorry, T'Pol also mentions to him that, you know, she wasn't a willing participant in the mind meld. Mm. Back on the ship, there's a point, either just before this or just after this, where Archer says, it's been a while since I was embarrassed by a Vulcan diplomat, and I wrote, has it, though? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Captain Archer, pull my finger. (laughs) 
<laughs> or is it just because the last time it was Trip pretending to be Archer? Oh yeah, that's that's true. That was the last time this happened. In the um what's it called? The eating place. Mess hall. There mess we hall. go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but my brain heard that as the yeeting place where you <laughs> <laughs> just chucking shit out the airlock. I don't know. <laughs> Elliot, I'm I'm a millennial, I'm still not hundred percent sure what yeet means, so <laughs> it means something with passion <laughs> oh with passion okay which is really hard just throw something really far trip is having lunch with hoshi and he's all like hey i want to watch a movie she, and she says everyone's going down to the planet he says no but the black cat and to be fair that's a great film yeah it's a good film and then <laughs> and then Feasel turns up and says hey can i sit here Hoshi starts talking to her in Denobulant, and Trip goes, Hey, you're talking about me! And Hoshi goes, Yes, yes, we are. We're speaking <laughs> the devil's language. <laughs> Feasel's like, She said you're a massive knob. <laughs> 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 this, this is why I like Feasel. <laughs> she, she just goes for the jugular. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the. the the whole thing is that she's getting a lot of enjoyment out of how uncomfortable he's being made from it as well. I think she yeah. she knows how to how to shake up the squares, doesn't she? Anything like that. <laughs> yep, and Hoshi just enjoys it as well because yeah, when Hoshi episodes have not been very good, but he- episodes that aren't about Hoshi particularly, this is a sad indictment of the show. But Hoshi's brilliant in those episodes. Yeah. yeah. I, I always kind of want them to just like have like a really embarrassing conversation and then just pan slightly to the left and Hoshi's just like casting shade on them all. I just think she's great in those scenes. Yeah, if, do you ever think that's because Holy, Hoshi only ever has like, you know, a couple of moments here or there in the episode, so she's getting less mm. directing, so Linda Park is able to actually do more herself with the character? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that could be, yeah. Hoshi leaves, and Trip then very quickly leaves as well after Feasel starts rubbing his leg with her leg, and he goes to the gym to work out with Malcolm because Malcolm <laughs> had to be in the episode somewhere. He's going to kill your boner faster than Malcolm. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Lieutenant Coldwater, good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> and Trip tells Malcolm what's going on, and Malcolm's basically like, "Well." You should not talk to Flocks about this. That's a really bad idea because once I saw Flocks get angry when and when one of his patients bit him, and I'm thinking you bit him, didn't you, Malcolm? That was you. <laughs> I, I thought I thought it was one of his animals. I thought it was one of his. Yeah, I was going to say I'm pretty certain it's one of his animals. <laughs> no, it was Malcolm. Malcolm bit him. <laughs> it's like what the fuck did he do? Like, did he just like? smash a bat on his on against the wall or something and then look, it does feel like Malcolm it's just set eye. up for a kind of like Chekhov's flocks are we <laughs> ever going to see it has anyone here seen the lighthouse yes <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the seagull <laughs> yeah that's what flocks did <laughs> with Malcolm just staring in disbelief in the doorway of the medical chamber flocks never breaks eye contact with Malcolm throughout the entire thing <laughs> Just beats a bat to death oh, with <laughs> Flox reviews the research that Topola's got from from Uris, and he says, "Look, it's not a cure, but it will help us sort of keep the disease at bay a little bit. It'll help me with my research, so it's it's good. This is a good step." But then Archer walks in and goes, 
Yeah, one of the doctors is um, like a high-ranking member of the Vulcan Medical Council, and he's got the authority, conveniently to Paul, to recall you back to Vulcan. Also conveniently, though, he's not telling the High Command anything until you actually get there. Oh, yeah, this whole fucking bullshit as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this is Enterprise being Enterprise. Yeah, this is Enterprise casting its plot armor on, onto its characters. It's weird, isn't it? Enterprise has this very distinct kind of wobbly, shaky, loose screw frame that we're completely used to seeing. And it's still around this episode, but it's filled with a lot better shit than usual. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I understand and, and hear that totally. Yeah. They, they've got a lot of polyfiller in, in this episode. And again, I just think that somebody else has taken a pass at the script, so they yeah. didn't get it wrong. Uncredited, which is sad, because I'd like to know who it was. Do you know I bet who it was? I bet at least one of their wives read it. Brian and Barbara's <laughs> work. And, and they could probably write a better episode of Enterprise having never even watched the show, because if I was married to either of those ghouls, I wouldn't watch the show either. But <laughs> I reckon that, yeah, somebody's wife had a look at it and vastly improved it. <laughs> Archer goes back down to the planet and Archer has quite cleverly done some actual re- well no he's got Hoshi to do some actual yeah. research and then give yeah. him some notes <laughs> yeah but he goes up to the Vulcans and say hey Paul's entitled to a hearing that's Vulcan law and the Vulcans go oh you got us oh you bastard because they are sticklers for their bureaucracy <laughs> why, does, why does the dude bother to try and go like well no anyway i just like but i'm reading you your rules in your face and he's just like well no anyway no and he's like what, what the fuck <laughs> and then archer does that thing where but you love rules and he's like damn it we do love rules <laughs> 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 they do love rules <laughs> so this is a scene i think we need to get into now because we cut back to sick bay where flocks is treating travis (laughs) who has sustained a sports injury it's some kind of bruising on his torso and he says yeah they they get these cows and then you throw melons at each other and i'm there going travis someone is fucking with you this is not a game this is not a sport (laughs) i was like I was thinking to myself, Flox, you really need to test his blood. Like, he's had something. There's no watermelon cow game or whatever it is. It's, this is all some fucking weird shit. And then I love how, like, Trip comes in and it's just like, okay, Travis, go and just bounce a ball against the wall for five minutes while I talk to this man, okay? Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely fucking with him. They know that they've they've been to an alien planet millions and millions and millions of miles away from Earth, and they played lacrosse. There's no fucking sports <laughs> game with melons and cows. It's, they already Cow exist lacrosse. on Earth everywhere. <laughs> I wondered if maybe this is a precursor to a sport that we have had talk about in Star Trek before, but never actually seen, and maybe Parisi's Squares involves cows and melons. Oh, that would be interesting. It wasn't Parisi's Squares banned... I think no, they they play it in Next Generation, but it is dangerous. And then there are there is an episode uh, of one of the shows I can't remember which where it leads to a death. And Wesley Crusher hurt himself playing Parisi Squares. Uh, no, he was snowboarding. He's such a bell end. Anyway, they take that for Wesley to try and make Wesley cooler than he was. I don't think they tried to make Wesley cool at all. <laughs> if, if Wesley did do an extreme sport of any kind, it would be like windsurfing, wouldn't it? You know, it, it's going to be like. Yeah, okay, it's kind of it's kind of tough, but also nobody sleeps with windsurfers. <laughs> it would be even worse. It would be that windsurfing you do on the sand on wheels. 
like Mad Max windsurfing. <laughs> Just to all of our windsurfer listeners out there, I do actually respect and love your sport. <laughs> <laughs> Name one windsurfer. Um, Jerry Windless. Annoyingly, I have no way of checking if that's, you know, real or not. So we'll just move on. <laughs> Trip walks in, says to Travis, hey, Travis, leave and don't play weird sports that without checking that they're actually, you know, real in the future. <laughs> and Trip then wants to talk to Flox and he says, look, Malcolm said this was a bad idea. And that made me think it's probably a good idea. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you about what's going on with your wife. And Flox is like, you should fuck her. Yeah, Flox is turgid at this point. Like, he's it, he's brilliant in this scene. I absolutely <laughs> this scene was hilarious. Yeah, John Billings. Like, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. Like, Has she offered you a rose petal bath? He's so excited. <laughs> he's so excited. <laughs> like all all he wants to do is to set it up so he can just say, "Do you mind if I watch?" <laughs> That's what he wants to do. He wants to I feel watch. Mr. Nobulans and humans makes an excellent amount of money and our business is on the Nobula. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Trip's all like, but she's married. And Flock's like, yes to me, you should fuck her. And then Trip uses that one line. Trip uses that one line he's used once before. I was a perfect gentleman. Trip, last time you used that line, you got pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> and so far this series as well, you've also fucked a princess and... Uh, I'm Possibly sure somebody else. We didn't see all of that, so... Yeah, he probably fucked that alien warrior guy. What? Alien warrior guy? <laughs> Last episode. Hey, look, they were marooned on a planet alone for, like, several hours. Yeah, what else are you gonna do? Who's new, isn't it? That's what they're gonna do. They couldn't even talk, so of course they're gonna fuck instead. <laughs> you say it best when you say nothing at all. <laughs> Yeah, but Trip doesn't fuck her, and Flox is annoyed about this. It's like once, like he's like every five, four years since I saw this wife last, and I can't watch a fuck Trip. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think he was annoyed. He was very much just kind of like you're lost, bro. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna sneak one in before she goes for sure. <laughs> uh, we then cut to to Paul's hearing. Which we've kind of already discussed, but you know we should go over it a bit more anyway because this is no. where the Vulcans are all like, "Nope, she's coming back to Vulcan. She's shit because she's got this disease, and we're narrow-minded bigots." Mm. Exactly, and and they're real jerks. Yeah, it, they, they. This is the one of the, the one thing I found with Enterprise was like Enterprise. Did you know what I'm wrong? We've in all, I think, nearly all seasons of um, Star Trek, the Vulcans have se- been seen to be like quite prim proper and kind of like a bit of kind of killjoys a lot of the time and stuff like that but they've never really been shown to be like complete and utter shits and enterprise does that a lot like vulcan mm-hmm. oh you like vulcans yeah yeah guess what secretly bigots <laughs> and there's a lot of that i find in enterprise and like this episode is, uh, on this particular scene as well is like a really good example of it it was just like oh yeah here's these really important vulcans guess what they're literal assholes every yeah every vulcan in in enterprise is a prick more or less yeah it does go somewhere later on mm. but yeah it, it it's just like you know it just have some vulcan turns up and shits all over you like just 
Oh, just fuck off, Hawkins. And I, I don't think they had where it goes in mind at this point. I think that's very much when Manny Koto comes on board in season four and says, "Yeah, I've got to fix this. <laughs> this yeah. is weird." Yeah, <laughs> Do how can they this. not? I, if I'm seeing this, I know I'm not aware of anything after it chronologically or any of the stuff that we, that you guys have seen that I haven't. But having seen this from my perspective, I would be desperate to like know how they're going to sort it out it would be the main thing i'm curious about as even yeah. as a fan having not seen anything before or knowing about it i am desperate to know how the fuck these vulcans are going to sort themselves out before there's any kind of unified alliance across the galactic fucking empire or anything like that they can't I, vulcans can't be what i've always heard about if this is vulcans so they've got to change somewhat right like like it's it's even the uh, setup of the minority being people who are mind melders or capable of mind melding is kind of odd to particularly too long time Star Trek fans, I think, at this point. Because even given the the timeline of where Enterprise falls in the general sort of story of the Star Trek universe and everything, it does feel a little odd that not how I mean, what is it like twenty years after the end of Enterprise that the, the original series meant to take place, or maybe like a hundred. Uh, is it a hundred? Yeah, even a yeah. hundred years ago, it doesn't feel like quite enough time for Vul- the Vulcan race to have gone from mind melders of a minority to like nearly every Vulcan can mind meld. Yeah, because like literally, pretty much every other time we see Vulcans in any other se- series of Star Trek, there's a mind melt at some point. Oh, yeah. Spock fucking loves a mind melding. Oh, yeah. He's mind, he's mind melding with rocks. He's... <laughs> <laughs> Can help but notice, Spock, for you are mind melding with your own dick. <laughs> <laughs> he's there just like, let me get my fingers up on this. <laughs> Believe it or not, Captain, it's a vast library of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, but at T'Pol's trial, Eurus says, no, he forced his mind meld on her, and also, I'm gay, I mean mind melder. <laughs> yeah. Did you get a North Star moment out of this? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was very much a for I am gay moment. <laughs> yeah, the, the first out superhero in mainstream comics, for listeners that don't know, is a character called North Star from the comic Alpha Flight, and the issue he comes out on, you know, it's good that it happened, but my God, it was clumsy. Yeah. <laughs> was North Star the lad who lived on a space station? No. Oh, did he at some point? No. No, he lived in Canada, and then he lived in the X-Men mansion, and then oh. Canada again. Canada's like a space station. Might as well. You can't, you can't go outside. It's really cold. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it means that the, the Vulcan doctors are now like, well, T'Pol can stay on the Enterprise, but Eurus, now you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah, someone someone had to get screwed over by it, but they knew they couldn't have T'Pol be the one screwed over because they want her to stick around because she's the sex appeal for the show. So um, all of a sudden, T'Pol, you're good. New guy who is blatantly the gayest Vulcan around. Um, you you screwed, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's the end of the trial. We get another scene with Flox and his wife and Trip and Trip going, I didn't sleep with you. And yeah, Fiesel's like, oh, goodbye, everyone. Sign up to my OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> like and subscribe. <laughs> and she basically says, hey, 
I might come visit this ship a bit more often because you're a sexy man. And Flocks is all like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> he really is. And then they start smelling each other. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't think we have come to that yet, but is it? Denobulin's apparent um, romantic greeting between romantic partners is to just give a really big sniff right in each other's faces. Yeah. I liked that as a weird, different culture thing. I, it was like, yeah. oh, yeah, these are aliens. <laughs> I got this thing in my head that, like, Denobulin's are kind of like evolved possums <laughs> as opposed to, like, as opposed to like you know like apes like they're some kind of like weird like rodenty kind of thing and they've got and they, I think they live underground and there's like a whole bunch of stuff as well but yeah I really like that aspect of it that kind of like reinforces that idea for me and then we we cut back to Archer's ready room where he says to Topol that Eurus has been suspended and she says yeah that's that's to be expected you know these guys they're pricks she says she is going to contact the high command and try and speak on his behalf and she hopes that this incident will encourage others to speak out the end and yeah <laughs> like bra- bra- bravo bravo than doing it and everything but i i it, it is a little troublesome when this kind of syndicated television does this kind of bottle episode about an important theme because it's got to wrap up and like mm. these kind of things don't wrap up. Like it's kind of like it's it's going to be it kind of has to be a bit more of an ongoing thing. I feel like yeah. this kind of plot would have been better on Discovery, which obviously does long running plots. Yeah. Throughout a whole series kind of thing. Where as opposed to being like one episode done. Yeah. But it was it was it was good. For what it is, it was good. I think it's it's certainly the best thing that Berman and Braga have written, as as we say, probably with help, but that has their name as the main writers on it for a while. Probably for the whole of Enterprise. I don't think they mm. wrote any of the other episodes we've actually liked so <laughs> far. Yeah. Yeah, this is pretty noticeably okay again. And <laughs> because of comparatively, it's I can't speak about it in other, any other form other than in comparison to everything that's come before it, mm. and from what from what we've been watched so far. And comparatively, it's a very good Enterprise episode. But other than that, it's all right. Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's fair. It's accurate. I mean, they talk about a very important topic, and I, I'm kind of glad that. You know, in something like Star Trek, this is out there. It is by far not perfect, but it's also rare to find like a perfect media story which tackles this kind of thing. You know, with the exception of like something which is doing it overtly and not trying to mask it under metaphors mm. and subtext and things like that. So, like, yo, know, it's not going to be. It's a sin. Like, yo, know, it's it's not going to be as truly transcendent as that was but for what it is a one episode hour-long syndicated television thing which is kind of just gonna wrap it up in in 50 minutes yeah it's all right it it, it, it did a good enough job and it's not the first or last time star trek would be heavy-handed with its with its metaphors i mean way back the original series let that be your last battlefield there is no subtlety in that one Mm. and uh and like like i say it, it happens time and again in Star Trek, particularly like earlier Star Treks with the syndicated runs, because you know, yeah, you you kind of wanna 
do you know, this actually ties into something I, uh, I talked about recently a little bit, because um, a lot of people complained about the new Matrix film. And but what was the other thought? I don't look up on Netflix because they said they weren't subtle. And and like, yeah, they're not. They're not subtle. But like none of none of the Matrix films are subtle. Like they literally, their message is right there on the sleeve. The only possible difference being that like the trans metaphor of the original films. I thought was subtle, but that might just be because I'm a cisgender person. I needed someone to point it out. And once someone pointed it out, it's blatantly there. It's like, yeah, all oh, right, I totally get it now. Whereas I don't necessarily always understand that way this salty thing uh, or this not disgust, but like certainly like finding a lack of subtlety and palatable comes from because Star Trek is very, really subtle. It like yeah. when it is doing one of these things, it is blatant. But it seems to be that like a lot of people, a lot of audience don't understand that. Like, even when it is pretty blatant, because I guarantee there'll be loads of people out there who will, like, I've not got what this was a story about, really. Oh, God, no. And then if they did, and then if they did do an episode where they blatantly had someone with HIV or something like that, all of a sudden you'll get the usual crowd to be like, oh, it's the SJW sticking their feelings into my show. Ah. <laughs> so, um, it's just a very odd thing, because like, it's, it's always been part of this kind of show. And yeah, you're right, Star Trek is never really subtle. But yeah, this was a particularly heavy-handed episode. But like yeah. heavy-handed in a good way, I think it worked. So. Yeah. Well, are we done on stigma? Do we have anything else to say about stigma? My feelings on it: it, it was a pretty good episode of Enterprise, uh, exactly as Joe said. You know, it's going to be one of those things where you know everything's wrapped up at the end. They all went home and drank lemonade and went to the zoo. <laughs> I know that we do get a little more about the Panar sickness, so I'm glad that that does exist. It's about as hard as Enterprise can try. Like, what you've got to remember is that, like, Enterprise is is the slightly asthmatic Star Trek that, that occasionally needs, you know, to have a little on its inhaler to, to keep up with the others. Yeah. You know, the original series, even, for all its, like, ham-fisted, weird, racist, sexist things that it does, when it tries to do a social justice episode, it invariably is like a classic of the series. Mm-hmm. This is never going to be a classic of any Star Trek series. Maybe, you know, Enterprise itself, yeah. but there are probably, you know, other episodes that are just going to eclipse this. Uh, other medical episodes, like the ones with the Menks, uh, will, will probably eclipse this episode. But yeah, I know it's, it's a, a marked improvement on what we've been seeing fairly recently in season two of Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because I think that was the noticeable problem, I think, certainly with the first season of Enterprise and certainly the first few episodes, was they were they thought they were gonna do a Star Trek show and like make a good Star Trek show by focusing on like the surface level sheen of things. Like and like we, I think we talked about last time I was on, like how like, oh, they all of a sudden decided you had to inject sexy into Star Trek, so let's have as many navel gazing shots in a antibacterial thing um as oh, we yeah, can possibly get. But then you kind of think like this is where the episodes of Star Trek and this kind of show really do shine is when it's not about the shiny, shiny laser battles and everything. It's more about like, Oh, actually, no, let's talk some hard sci-fi metaphor take on real world issues. And yeah, but that, and that's what made Star Trek, what it was good for over that time and why it's lasted. So it's nice for enterprise 
is starting to do that more in this season. How well they will stick to that <laughs> is... Oh, not well. Season two, the lows have been way worse than the lows of season one so far. Well, yeah. <laughs> I have hated it. <laughs> <laughs> But, Elliot, you might like our next episode. Eh? Eh? It's called Ceasefire. Sounds like a Malcolm episode, not gonna lie. (laughs) Please tell me it's a Malcolm episode. I don't think it's a Malcolm episode. Okay, we're fine. I'll tell you who is in it. Who? Jeffrey Coombs. Coombs! I mean, to be fair, saying Jeffrey Coombs is in Star Trek is a little... (laughs) (laughs) Now, in fact, you don't even need to tell me. Because from all I know from Jeffrey Coombs, he could be a returning character, or he could be playing somebody I've never seen before. Yeah, <laughs> yep, he could be. <laughs> or he could even be playing several in the same episode. Wow. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, we will be back next week to discuss Ceasefire. Joe, thank you for coming back. It was a pleasure as always. Where can people find you online? Uh, well, uh, so many places. I, I have a website now, uh, which is www.joeglasscomics.co.uk. Uh, you can find me on the Twitters at, at Joseph Glass, because uh, someone beat me to my name. Uh, Instagram, <laughs> you can find me at, at Joe Glass. And uh, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I will put links to all of those in the description of the episode, as well as usual as links to... Elliot, Matt, and my own internet presences, and where you can find the show's own Twitter account as well, and Instagram, and Facebook. I'll do all three. Why the fuck not? (laughs) Also, as ever, the link to our coffee. If you do want to donate to the show and help us continue making it, we would genuinely, hugely appreciate that. You have no idea. In the meantime, everybody take care. We will speak to you next week. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.